The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Oh, hi everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the Piercing Wizard podcast. Uh, For those of you um, watching the video version, hello. For those of you listening to the audio version, Hello. Uh, This episode is going to be focusing on needles. Uh, I just recently published a video on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash ryanpba, uh, talking all about needles and kind of the the history of of what a body piercing specific needle is and and how we got to it. And I, I don't really think that you can do that conversation justice without bringing up Jim Ward, founder of The Gauntlet. So I put this class together, uh, recorded it, put it on Patreon, but then it really got me thinking like, I have some unanswered questions. I really want to talk to, to Jim Ward. And fortunately, uh, Jim Ward uh, it, it was kind enough to come on the, the show this week. So I've got uh, a, a video slash audio podcast for you uh, available on all podcast platforms. But if you're listening to the audio version, you can go to my precisionbodyarts.com YouTube page you can see the, the video version there. I'll also put it on uh, patreon.com slash ryanpba for anyone who's interested. But uh, I recorded that conversation with Jim Ward, and I'll, I'll be sharing it for you within just a few minutes. And uh, something that I brought up in the class was that as body piercers, we're all kind of part of the same family tree. And if you follow the the branches, you go down the trunk, when you get to the, the roots of uh, body piercing... It was really medical needles. Medical needles are what started uh, started us on the path to having a, a purpose-specific uh, body-piercing needle. So um, talking about needles that had a plastic hub to connect it to a syringe, uh, maybe a, a plastic sleeve, a, a cannula to uh, attach it to IV tubing. You have one branch of that family tree who, who looked at the needle with the hub, with the cannula, and thought like, okay... This is what we have available to us. What can we do with this needle to create a body piercing and install jewelry? But then uh, the other side of that uh, that coin, the other branch of that family tree was Jim Ward, who was starting out with a medical needle with a, a plastic hub on it and then thinking, well, if we just clipped off this, this hub, uh, we'd be able to do our jewelry transfers a, a lot more easily. So it's a really fascinating conversation uh, and it's it's important history because just like... 30 or 40 years ago, ago they, they weren't really thinking about what we have access to today, what we think of today as a, a body piercing needle. And I would imagine that the same thing, another 30 or 40 years from now, when we're talking about body piercing in, in 2050, uh, I doubt that they'll be using the exact same needles. I'm sure some will, but I'm sure others will evolve beyond what we're using today. Uh, I think you can kind of start to see the the origins of, of that potential future evolution today with the the body piercers who are modifying their needles, who are doing needle crushing, different needle bends, and experimenting with different kinds of needle coatings, all this different stuff. Um, Connector pins and transfer assists and all that stuff. We're going to have a lot of needle innovations over the next few years. 
Um, but I wanted to bring it back a little bit and I wanted to talk about some of the, the needle innovations that led us to what we have today as body piercers. So there's no better person to talk to uh, in regards to that topic than Jim Ward, founder of The Gauntlet. So we'll be talking with, uh, with Jim in just a few minutes. For you, if you're interested in, in learning a little bit more about needles, um, if you're interested in seeing that video, it's available now on demand on the $15 a month tier at patreon.com slash ryanpba. I have quite a few other videos on there. Uh, the gloves class, if any of you have seen the gloves class, attended the, the recording session of the gloves class, uh, you'll know that I was doing a lot of like hands-on, no pun intended, uh, demonstration of how you put on gloves and talking about the different kinds of gloves, materials of gloves, things like that. The needles class, it's more slideshow driven, uh, and it's really to get you thinking about what body piercing needles are today. Um, you have lots of piercers operating in the United Kingdom, in Europe, other parts of the world who are using cannulas. They kind of branched off, you know, like the piercers kind of doing the, the style that US piercers are doing, using what we might refer to now as a, a blade needle or a tri-bevel body piercing needle. Uh, a lot of those piercers were directly influenced by the, the work of Gauntlet and the work of, of Jim Ward. Um, the, the piercers operating in the UK and in Europe, uh, during the conversation with Jim, we'll kind of talk about maybe some of the piercers that might have influenced them. And uh, it's, it's a really fun conversation. But if you'd like to see my needles presentation, go to patreon.com slash ryanpba. Uh, there are parts of that where I mentioned the uh, the concept of bevel theory. That's not something that I can get really in-depth on in another presentation. You can't really tack bevel theory onto another subject and, and really do it justice. So um, for some of the people that have been asking, I do plan on offering my full bevel theory class again uh, sometime in the early summer. I'm aiming for maybe a date around July, but since that's kind of close to my birthday and some other holidays and because COVID has gotten things so screwy for the potential of being able to leave my house and be a human, I haven't really been able to set a date yet. But if you want to kind of put it on your radar early, I do plan on offering my full bevel theory day uh, probably sometime around July. Um, but as I get closer to uh, locking down a date, I'll be sure to share that with you. And if you're not already following it, go ahead and give Body Art Education by Ryan Willette a follow on Facebook. You can also follow Ryan PBA on social media, and you know I'm just going to bombard people with any sort of class announcements there anyway. So for now, let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Gauntlet founder, with APP founder, Jim Ward. And I'll be back a bit more at the end. I'm Jim Ward. Uh, some people call me the grandfather of the modern body piercing movement. I started uh, a business called Gauntlet back in 1975 uh, with the inspiration of my friend and mentor, Doug Malloy, who was a West Hollywood or actually a Hollywood uh, millionaire uh, with a passion for piercing. That was his kink. And that's where actually all of this grew out of was the, the kink community, the fetish community. And uh, so to actually to answer your question, uh, I pierced my own nipples when I lived in New York in the late 60s. Uh, I had met a couple of guys who were part of the gay SM leather scene in New York and they introduced me to it. It was, it just was something that naturally 
had been lurking in my subconscious for a long, long time, actually mm -hmm. since the onset of puberty. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, somewhere along the line, <clears throat> after I had gotten into this community, I read a, a magazine article about a man who had uh, sailed around the world in his sailboat. And when he finished his circumnavigation of the, of the globe, he decided he wanted an ear pierced to commemorate that event, uh, which turns out actually to be a historic way of marking yeah. uh, the various sea voyage, voyages. There's documentation that sailors would pierce various parts of their bodies <laughs> to commemorate these events. Uh, there was a difference in whether it was crossing the equator or going around the horn or, or around the world or whatever, but mm -hmm. there were these traditions. And there was something in that article that kind of, I don't know, it set off a little something in my psyche. And I decided I wanted to get an ear pierced. And this was in 1968. Um, it was one of those fantasies that just wouldn't go away. So... I had a, a friend I'd met, uh, developed a friendship with. Uh, I joined the New York Motorbike Club, which was a, a gay leather club there in New York. And I met this guy who had been a merchant Marine and uh, he had piercings in his ears and little stars tattooed on the lobes. So I got him to come over and pierce one of my ears. It, uh, did the left ear because I was were those were the days you know when the right ear meant that you were gay. Oh God right. forbid! <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he came over and pierced my left ear one one day, and uh, I was working a straight kind of job, so mm -hmm. I thought, well, we'll put in a little stud earring from the department store, you know, and. I'd put a little Band-Aid over it every day and I'd go into work. And I figured if somebody asked, I'd just say, well, I cut myself shaving. <laughs> I shave my ears ever. every day. This, and yeah, this went on for like six weeks yeah. while it healed. But nobody ever noticed or ever asked. So at the end of the six weeks, I was able to take the stud out during the day and put it back in at night. But... Subsequently, after that, I began, I've always enjoyed since the onset of puberty or soon after, this realization that nipple play was actually very sexy, mm -hmm. that was very stimulating. And somewhere along the line, this fantasy began to evolve of, wow, wouldn't it be sexy to have pierced nipples? Mm -hmm. And at that point in my life, I'd never met anyone or known anyone who had pierced nipples. And uh, so finally one day I got up the nerve. I had an ex-boyfriend who was a watchmaker who had some gold wire in his little kit of watchmaking tools. And I got out this wire and cut off some little lengths of it. It's very thin. It was probably... 22 gauge or something, but I made these little circles out of the wire. I got a push pin and the cork from a wine bottle, and I put one on one side and one on the other. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
Well, that part went fine, but then it's how do you get that little piece of wire through the hole? Yeah. That was the challenge. And I mean, with determination, it's possible. And I managed, but, uh, you know, I didn't know any better. Uh, so years passed. My nipples finally pierced, uh, healed up, and I had jewelry in them. Went to the department store and bought some little gold earring things that I wore for a long time. And I eventually met somebody that I was romantically involved with and moved to Denver, Colorado, where I joined the local leather club there, the Rocky Mountaineers. And uh, we had a run one weekend where some guys were coming in from out of town. Uh, so this guy came in from Omaha, Nebraska, and he decided he saw my piercings and decided he wanted me to pierce his nipples. So I got out the push pin or a push pin and another cork from the wine bottle and pierced his nipples, which he was my first client. And yeah. I don't even remember his name, but at any rate, time passes and I end up in L.A. and meet my friend and mentor, Doug Malloy. About that time, I was dating a guy whose name was Eric, and he also wanted his nipples pierced. And I decided, well, there has to be a better way to mm -hmm. do this. So I called up Doug and I said, I, my buddy Eric wants his nipples pierced, and I know there's got to be a better way. Can you, A, share with me how you do this, and B, what do we do about jewelry? Mm -hmm. So he said, sure, I'll help you out. And I've got a little, this little kit of equipment and tools uh, that I use, and I'm willing to share it with you. So great. Uh, so we put our heads together. Um, long story short, I won't go into the, the first jewelry experience, making experience and how that all came into being, but I made some jewelry for the piercings and Doug came over and we pierced Eric's nipples and uh, in Doug's little kit were whole half a dozen. I don't know how many of uh, those thick uh, hypodermic needles that vets use on horses, I guess. Mm -hmm. They were probably equivalent to 14 gauge, 16 gauge. They were, there was a variety of them, but they were kind of in that that rough range. Mm -hmm. He also had an ear piercing gun that we was one of the old fashioned ones. It wasn't spring loaded. You had to push it through and then yeah. pull out and leave a little cannula in the, in the piercing. I think that's actually what we used for the first piercing, but uh, Doug had kind of made acquaintances with all these people around the world who were interested in body piercing. It was very much a fetish thing at the time. But he had also placed ads in the local gay press um, and met people. And he called me up one day and he said, you know, there's this guy in Hollywood who wants a Prince Albert piercing. Uh, and I think you should go over and do it. 
So actually, no, I'm, that's, a, that's a different story. We'll get to that next time. Actually, uh, there was a fellow who had come into town from New York named Jim. And uh, he actually had his nipples pierced. Uh, I don't remember who did it, somebody back in New York. But Jim had contacted Doug and wanted a Prince Albert. And he was staying in a hotel in Hollywood. So Doug and I went to his hotel room. And fortunately, my mother uh, had been an assistant to an ophthalmologist for 20 some years. So I had learned something about sterilization and the importance of autoclaving and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I didn't have an autoclave, but I had a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And so in those early days, that's what I did with everything. I stuck it in the pressure cooker and at least theoretically it was acceptable as a, a form of sterilization. It was better than just soaking things in alcohol, right? which was what most people would do. Uh, But we went to Jim's hotel room and got up all the the stuff. I got the needle through. (coughs) And those days, guys, guys and gals, believe me, doing a Prince Albert into the head of a a Q-tip is no easy feat. I would imagine not. (laughs) But somehow I rather blundered my way through and managed it but then came the the challenge of getting the piece of jewelry to follow that that beveled point on the hypodermic needle Mm -hmm. and we ended up with a rather bloody mess and probably more by force than by 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 luck we got the jewelry in Mm-hmm. But this little light bulb went on in my head, like, you know, if I chopped off that hub, that syringe hub, I could follow that needle through with the jewelry and no problem. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I went back, uh, chopped the end off, and voila, <laughs> the first piercing needle was born. <laughs> Would you, would you that was a long way of telling you the story. Well, no, that's great. I mean, the more detail, the better, because I, I just want people to understand like the the origins of this. What what um would you would you have a, a rough guess on what year that might have been? That would have been in in the mid seventies, you know, like seventy somewhere. Uh, Gauntlet. I started Gauntlet in November of seventy five, so this would have probably been somewhere early in. 1975 it was actually doug's doug took me to lunch one day after i'd done eric's nipples he said you know there's this a business opportunity and i think you should start this business and with a little bit of money from him and some inspiration that's how it all got started it's 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 great to it's great to hear these stories um how how long would you estimate that you were operating with like a, a modified medical needle. And, and do you remember um, the kind of the origins of like a piercing specific needle? Was that something that you were having made or is that something that another vendor came out with? Actually, uh, we were struggling through with those God awful 
veterinary needles, mm. uh, reusing them up until the AIDS epidemic started. Mm-hmm. Um, I some of the, I was buying needles from this medical supply place in New York City, and the quality was not always consistent. And some of them were really, really dull. Mm-hmm. They had actually a round point that rounded point that in theory was supposed to cut through, but didn't do a very good job. Yeah. And uh, we were reusing needles. I would put them through the autoclave. By that time I had an autoclave. I'd put them through the autoclave and then I'd run a wire through them to get all the crap out mm-hmm. and then package them and uh, autoclave them a second time. Yeah. And they just kept getting taller and taller and taller. And then when the AIDS epidemic hit, I realized that we had to do disposables. Uh, we just could not go on doing even though in theory, the autoclaving, would, especially with HIV, would be sufficient. Yeah. It was not, uh, there was no guarantee, at least as far as HEP was concerned. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a good, it was a reliable, it was reliably, it was reliable that it would kill HIV. Sure. Well, for perspective too, you know, this is also an era when doctors and other medical professionals, they weren't even wearing exam gloves for even sometimes like simple surgeries, you know? So I I think some younger people are going to be shocked when they hear the concept of, of reusing a needle. But again, at the time, there was no such thing as a piercing needle. And I, you know, I I think a a lot of sterilization for medical surgical, surgical and dental was nowhere near where it is today. And it would be the same thing with, with most other industries. Right. And tattooists were also in the same boat. They were, they had the, the bucket with the sponge and they were just wiping down tattoos with the same bucket and sponge all day. (laughs) I'm glad that Cliff Raven was at least a step above that. (laughs) Um, at any rate, when the AIDS epidemic hit, uh, I contacted, I forget which one of the major medical suppliers it was. It was one of the major ones, you know, that made hypodermic, manufactured hypodermic needles. Yeah. And we, there was a bit of a challenge getting them to understand what it was that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And they actually used the terminology, oh, what you want is a cannula. Hmm. Now, that's not to be confused with cannula as you define cannula with a sleeve over the needle. This was basically nothing more than a hypodermic needle with missing the syringe. Right. And we were able to get them from this company uh, manufactured to our specifications. Unfortunately, they were still pretty meh. Yeah. They were not very sharp. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until well into the 90s uh, when I don't remember who the first person was. It was a Derek Dakota who started the. I wouldn't be shocked if it was. Was somebody started making needles specifically for piercing. Mm-hmm. And it, it has changed changed our world, as it were. Yeah. I am always just 
it's so refreshing to do a piercing with a needle that just goes, you know, without, believe me, I use thimbles. I did, we manufactured those old needle pushers. I think uh, some studios still, still have those today. And, and again, for people to realize, like imagine if you were piercing with something where the entire force of your arm and your fingers, you, you can't get that through. I, I remember some of the needles that I started with in the, the 90s where you just really had to fight to get it through something tough like a nipple and um, needle pushers, you like, again, some younger piercers today might be like, a what? A needle what? But yeah, you had to have basically like something to put on the back end of it and help you shove it through because like you really had to put some oh, muscle yeah. into it. And people didn't, don't realize how tough some tissue can be. Yeah. Especially with, uh, you know, those individuals who enjoy like nipple play mm -hmm. and they've got some tough tissue in there. Right. Oh yeah. That's uh, <laughs> a challenge. So, um, let me see what other questions I might have based on that. Um, when it came to, so when it came to, to, to gauntlet as, as like the, the company, the entity where, where you started to have multiple piercers coming in, multiple locations, things like that. Um, was it kind of like a standard needle that was being distributed between all the different studios, all the different piercers, or was it like everybody's kind of free to find their own implement? No, we, we had our, it was the same needle, went to all locations, all piercers used them, and they were disposed of after use. They weren't exactly single use. They were used on one person right. and then discarded. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I, in most cases that I'm aware of, if you do two nipples, you get two needles. But uh, I, I think part of that is... Uh, as, as needle design geometry has advanced now that the, the blades are so much longer, the geometry has made them a bit thinner. I think that they're a bit more prone to like, you know, warping and degradation after, after one use. Yeah. <laughs> they start to maybe not like dramatically kink, but I do, I do recall a needle. Uh, I pierced the nipple. I don't know. At some point in the early two thousands. And I remember pushing and really having to, to muscle it through. And when it came out the other end, even just that one piercing, the, the needle tip had gotten folded over. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pretty rough. Um, so, you know, what, I don't know if you have any like stories that maybe stick out in your mind of like, not horror stories, because I wouldn't imagine that's what it is, but certain piercings where you really just kind of had to, to fight to get the piercing completed. I would imagine certain kinds of genital piercings, nipple piercings, it was a bit of a challenge to start to develop the skills of like jewelry transfers and how you were like physically moving the needle through the body and, and all that stuff. So any memories that stick out during those like early experimentation days of, of, of you know, hubless needles or, you know, piercing specific needles? Um, well, is this the, the other thing, the other event that happened early on but as I said, we were using, Doug was using this ear piercing gun mm. um, to do nipple piercings. And that's kind of, I'd started out kind of initially using that gun um, for doing nipples mm -hmm. until we went to this guy's apartment to pierce his nipples. And that, 
<laughs> that needle just went uh, yeah. because the they were the tissue was so tough, mm-hmm. and I had to get out. You know, one of the 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 uh, hypodermic needles to actually do the piercing. Um, we were still using Pennington forceps in those in that time, mm-hmm. which people still do. Um, and so I managed to get everything. The clamp was still in place, so I was easy enough to go through with the the hypodermic. Where in the same location that the, the ear piercing gun had failed, but it took a lot of muscle even then, yeah. just to get that through. Uh, and then, of course, things like ampelangs, where you've got a lot of tissue yeah. to uh, to get through. Um, and I remember later also, uh, one of the few times I had a, a, a needle stick was doing, uh, dido piercings hmm. and that tissue is kind of, I don't, I want to say stringy, but it's, it's not exactly so much tough as it is kind of stretchy. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, the needle came out wrong and I poked myself. Hmm. Um, that was the major downside of those dull needles was, uh, the risk of needle sticks. It's like the same principle with a sharp knife and a dull knife. Right. You're much high, you have a much higher risk of cutting yourself with a, a dull one than a sharp one. Yeah. Because you're, you have to apply more force and then it's less control. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so it's like needle size. Do, do, do you have like a, a concept of what like the largest like adapted medical needles you were using? Like if you're talking about something like an arrow, was that like a thicker size, like a like a 12 or a 10? Or were you kind of sticking around that like 14 gauge kind of territory? And those uh, even up until Gauntlet's demise, which was in 98, uh, we were still probably on the conservative side. Uh, we, it depended of course on the piercing, but the more com- most common sizes were like 14 and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, depending on the piercing, 16. We never, that I recall, unless like it was an ear, maybe we'd go down to 18, but usually it was 16 was probably the minimum mm-hmm. and only for cosmetic, I'll call them cosmetic piercings. Sure. <clears throat> Any place where you're going to get action, you want something that's more substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, what about needle lubrication? Cause I would imagine if the needles weren't all that sharp, you, you still had a, a lot of friction. So were you using any kind of like a, a, a lubricant on the needle at the time? Very early on, we were using like neosporin, which mm-hmm. of course was not great or triple antibiotic mm-hmm. ointment in those early days. And then eventually we went to, uh, we'd get those little packets of sterile lube, mm-hmm. um, and use that. And then came the glorious day when you didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love coated needles. Um, 
I used I use lubricant for a while. I'll still use lubricant every now and then for like a genital piercing or something where I want to try to make it a little bit easier on a client if I can. But um, now I'm I'm such like a I'm such a baby when it comes to like I want everything perfect. I'm such a micromanager with with my piercing <laughs> that if my fingertips are a little bit slippery from lubrication, it's just like oh, it's impossible. How am I supposed to work under these conditions? <laughs> Oh, you poor child. I know. <laughs> how how spoiled do you think the modern body piercer is compared to, to what you oh went through? Really? He's the <laughs> uh, in those good old days. Yeah, the good old days. <laughs> well, is there anything else that um that jumps out on your mind about kind of the, the evolution of needles that you wanted to share? Not really. I mean, I am just delighted to see the advances that have been made. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, with the whole shaping the needle, crunching the needle, bending the needle, doing all these these tricks. Um, I'm just delighted to see how much is being done to make the whole experience easier for everyone. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, a lot of the innovations that are being made today might not have happened in the same way because it's kind of a direct evolution that that you were really uh, Im important in, in creating. I, I think that if you look at the worldwide piercing community, uh, going back to my whole like analogy about a family tree is like if most piercers started with like, okay, we have a pin or, or something like that, but then what's the evolution after that? Medical needles, that's where it, it really turned into that big branch of like, you had the innovators like yourself that were looking at it and being like, well, what can we do to modify this to make it work for our purposes? Then you had this other branch that was like, okay, you know, we have this with all these features, how can we apply it? So seeing those, those thought processes and work is fascinating to me. And you can really kind of see the whole branch of the family tree that you were the catalyst for, and, you know, through the gauntlet days into APP days into what we have today. Uh, it's got a direct lineage back to to you, and I just um, I'm really fascinated by it all. Well, a part of it too, I think, was the those initial chopped off hypodermic needles were so ideal. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they had not worked so well, you know, the ability to to put that jewelry up against the end of that tube mm -hmm. and follow it through. If that had not been, that was really probably the deciding factor of why that stuck. Mm -hmm. If there was something else you could follow through that easily, then maybe we would have gone somewhere else. Yeah. But that was, I think that's really where the, the one of the main deciding factors. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone has tried something different. I've heard, I've heard people talk about different experimentation, but I don't think anything is quite so functional as that whole like hollow tri-bevel needle. Now I think you have all these people doing the modifications like crushing and flattening and all that because they're trying to figure out what the eventual next step will be. And I would imagine 10 or 20 years from now, we'll be having a conversation about some other design or innovation that came along. But um, I think if you hadn't, if you hadn't gotten the industry kind of started there, I think somebody would have 
gotten to that eventually, but they might not have had the same kind of adaptations. You know, more of us in the U.S. might be using, you know, the cannulas with the sleeves over it, potentially. You, you never know. And I think it's true. really just your, your innovations and ideas that, that led us to what we have today. It was my pleasure. I had so much fun. <laughs> did, did, um, did you ever have any conversations with Doug about uh, maybe needles that he had used before he found medical needles or, or was it just kind of like, you know, starting with that, that toolkit that he had and, and medical needles were, were there. I just, it never occurred to me that <laughs> there yeah, might've been a, <laughs> I would imagine it would be a lot tougher to perform a multitude of piercings with something that was, you know, blunt, like a solid needle, a sewing needle or a push pin or something like that. I would imagine that that would be, a, a lot more difficult to experiment with than, than those medical needles might've been. Well, I also don't know that he ever did that many piercings. Mm, right. Um, yeah. He was more of it, a facilitator. Yeah. yeah. And it was a fetish for him. Mm -hmm. um, but even so, you know, yeah. And he knew people. I mean, he knew like tattoo Sammy and Frankfurt. Yeah. Um, we met, uh, I, early on after uh, about the same time I met Doug, I, he introduced me to Alan Oversby, who is better known as Mr. Sebastian, the, the British, the English version of me. Yeah. Um, but I don't know actually what any of those, what that's a good question. What was Mr. Sebastian using? Hmm. What was Tattoo Sammy using? Mm -hmm. And if I ever knew, I'd forgotten, which I apologize for. Well, it's important that everybody has their own, their own history. And, you know, those branches off the family tree, you can definitely go to something like the BMX Net Conference in Germany, and you can kind of see the lineage of like, Tattoo Sammy's influence, or you can go to UK APP and you can see the lineage of Mr. Sebastian's influence pretty clearly. And I'm, I'm fascinated by all of it. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the merchandise stuff that you've been doing for Gauntlet? Do you want to talk about that a bit? Well, I hope you'll share my, uh, the URL for my website. Certainly. And tell people about, assuming they don't already know, well, I'm sure even if even if some people know a little bit, knowing a bit more is no no bad thing. What if you um, want to know more about your history, um, check out my book. Absolutely, I, I mentioned that on the show pretty frequently because I've I've learned a lot, and it really um, you get all these great stories, and sometimes you can really just connect it to what's going on in in your present day piercing practice. Your your overall piercing community is is looking back and being like this is where that came from and this is what influenced that. So if there are any piercers or piercing enthusiasts or somebody working in a studio, or maybe you have goals to work in a studio one day, that book is really what I would say you should start with. Um, and whenever, whenever I train new people, whenever I train apprentices, that's required reading for the, so that they understand the origins of the industry. I appreciate that. <laughs> I also uh, republished the the manual that we used when we had piercer training seminars back in the late nineties. Yeah. Uh, that's available also through the website. And honestly, the information, some of it's dated. Mm -hmm. but I was delighted this last week 
there's a piercer who is training another piercer using the uh, the board with the leather on it, learning yeah. how to <laughs> get a feel for the needle. And I was I was tickled to see that. Uh, I thought that had fallen by the wayside. Well, not everybody has to reinvent the wheel. You know, a lot of this stuff works and it's not that it worked for one person. It's that it worked for multiple piercers, <clears throat> multiple generations. So um, I would really, again, encourage anybody, don't ever think of information as completely outdated. Sometimes, yes, there can be historical information where we've evolved, you know, after that, but um, knowing how this thought process started and, and it just, it helps you understand how we got to where we are instead of just looking at the last step, being able to think through the thought process of yourself and multiple people of taking that information and making small changes, small changes, small changes until we are where we are today. And good for you all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what, what is the website for for people to know so that they have the the URL straight from you? It's www.com. Running the gauntlet, spelled like that, mm-hmm. uh, with a hyphen book.com. Running the gauntlet hyphen book.com. Perfect. And we have some other odds and ends, uh, including shirts. That's great. Uh, I've, got, I've got quite a bit of it also. I don't know if I can turn this around so you can see it, but in my, um, in my home office, I have the uh oh, cool the sign poster of you with your harp and i've got one of your your gauntlet bandanas oh bravo <laughs> thank you <laughs> so um these designs that you've been that you've been putting out for the shirts and the the hankies and everything were those um historical designs that you would use in the past or was that something new that you would put together for for current day merch uh yes and yes um the last iteration of the shirts uh, was a, a design that uh, Gauntlet uh, had printed and sold in back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one that we just came out with the last couple of months, um, I mean, it's an old design, but we've kind of revamped it. It's got a kind of a shiny metallic silver ink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old ones were printed in gray. Um, but yeah, I, I, I play with the designs, use the old ones. This is still the old original logo from the very beginning. I designed this uh, back when I started Gauntlet in 1975. Can I, can I ask, and if, if I had already learned and have forgotten, was there <clears throat> an origin story to why you chose Gauntlet as the name? Well, actually, and yes, this is in the book. Um, Doug and after Doug talked me into (laughs) doing this thing, it was like, let's figure out a name for this business. And he had all sorts of fluffy names. He thought maybe some classical Greek name, you know, like the Saint Sebastian, whatever, you know. And uh, one night I was just sitting on the couch watching TV. And at the time I had this wide leather watch band. It was like with, you know, with metal studs on it. It was, and I took it off and I laid it on the end table. 
and I looked over at it and it was like gauntlet. Uh, in the English language, we have two expressions, running the gauntlet and throwing down the gauntlet. Mm -hmm. uh, the one represents the challenge, the other represents the ordeal. And as far as I was concerned, there was no perfect, no other perfect symbol for a business. It's a challenge and it can be an ordeal. Uh, so that's just how it happened. And it's iconic. Like that, that logo, um, I think, is one of the more powerful logos that I've, that I've seen in the industry. I think anybody uh, across the generations of, of body piercing can look at that logo and feel some sort of like um, connection to it. It's just, it's a very iconic logo. And uh, I just, I really appreciate the, the, the work and seeing it. And I really appreciate that it's still at the forefront when, you know, people talk about body piercing. Uh, I, I think everybody knows Gauntlet and, and knows what it created. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to have been part of it. <laughs> I think you were more than part <laughs> of it, but uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly appreciate everything that you've done for the industry. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. So uh, runningthegauntlet-book.com. Uh, is there any sort of other social media or contact info you'd want people to have? Um, there is a, a Running the Gauntlet face page a Facebook page. Um, there's also one on Instagram and I have to, I, I confess that I have been bad about keeping those pages up. Oh, that's okay. Um, I, I think it, especially in the last year or so, like just relax and work on anything that makes you feel happy. Don't, don't, don't bother putting your energy into social media right now. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you for, uh, for talking to me again, Jim. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's likewise. You take care. You too. Good talking to you. Bye now. Bye. I love talking with Jim Ward. Um, like, I especially like the just the, the low-key things when, when Jim is like, oh, yeah, you know, I just kind of came across this innovation and then changed the face of body piercing forever. Uh, it, it's really fascinating to, to talk to people like Jim Ward because... Um, he has such a wealth of information over decades, uh, and, and we're fortunate enough that, that Jim is willing to, to share that information. Not all piercers are. Some piercers, um, they, they kind of close that chapter on their lives of, of you know, my self-identity is a body piercer. Now I'm going to move on to other things, other careers or family life or, or whatever in life in general. Um, and Jim Ward has certainly done all those things, but he has never forgotten or, or really moved on from his roots as being uh, a body piercer, a body piercing innovator at, at his core. And uh, I'm very appreciative of him sharing information. Again, if you've never read Running the Gauntlet, uh, I would say that the first thing to do after listening to this podcast is, uh, well, number one, sign up at patreon.com slash ryanpba. But uh, second is uh, go to the, the Running the Gauntlet website and, and buy a copy of that book from, from Jim Ward, runningthegauntlet-book.com. Uh, and for the, the video podcast, I'll put that at the, the bottom of the screen too. Go ahead and check it out. It's a really important document and it'll really help you understand a the, the industry that we have today, where it came from, uh, the, the, the origins of a lot of body jewelry that we use today, the origin of, of needles, as we, as we said, um, but a lot of other things, the, the organization of, of our industry, the, the Association of Professional Piercers, that kind of grew out of Gauntlet. 
So it's a, a really great resource to, to learn a lot more about our industry and who we are as body piercers. So uh, thank you for listening to the show. Um, I would like you to uh, go to patreon.com slash RyanPBA. Check out that needles class and any other sort of content. Um, keep your ears open for the, the date on my new bevel theory seminar coming up this summer. Uh, and if you have any questions, reach out to me. You can give me an email at ryanpba at gmail.com or you can follow me on social media, ryanpba. You can follow the show, piercingwizardpodcast.com uh, on social media and it's available on all podcast platforms for free. So thank you for listening and stay sharp. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>